The bad news is they refuse to believe in Jesus and are not being healed. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenicast. I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week... We are going to be talking about faith healing based off of a listener suggestion. Uh, Melanie wrote in to us on Facebook and said, can I put in a request to, for an episode on faith healing? My mom was diagnosed with MS when I was 13 and we went through a lot with it. I also work as a therapist for clients with disabilities and three of them are Christians and have some very powerful experiences with it. I think you've covered a lot with prayer and how God acts, but I slash they would be really interested in hearing your views. Uh, so yeah, this is comes in as a listener request, and for our segment this week, uh, we're going to be bringing back an older segment that we did a while ago called "Good News, Bad News," which is a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, like I said, this week we're going to be talking about faith healing uh, based off a listener suggestion, and I think that we all have varied experiences and thoughts about this particular issue uh, based off of our limited. Uh, basically, this is how the conversation's gone. Someone starts to share, hey, I think this. And then someone's like, no, 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 stop. Don't wait. <laughs> wait till we get on, on air and, and share that. So there's going to be some impromptu nature to this. And uh, I think I think it should be said right up front that our intention is not to dismiss any kind of belief, but share our experiences and then also, uh, you know, be objective about how we've seen it, not just the idea itself. But I think, speaking for me, at least, it's always the, the next question for me is then how does it really affect people and how do people use these ideas and thoughts uh, if they're in a place of leadership and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, maybe I'm just throwing my hand out there. Uh, so let's let's start. Uh, Rajiv, let's start with you. Uh, what has kind of been your experience when you hear the word faith healing? What what is what do you what do you think? What goes through your mind and your heart and your soul? Oh, man. I feel like I got set up. That's bad news. We already started the segment. Bad news. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, uh, the one that I grew up in, faith healing was like a big um, kind of people were vilified. It's like, that's not what we do. Now, if you're familiar with the Seventh-day Adventist church, they have a pretty large medical university in Southern California, hospitals all over the world. So Traditional Western healthcare is kind of a big deal in the church, although real science beyond medical care is abstract because there's still a literal six day creation uh, that's taught and anti evolution. You know, kind of all all mixed in there. The faith healing stuff was like, well, it's just gibberish. Those people, we feel bad for them. They're not bad people. But uh, don't fall into those traps because it will ultimately lead you astray. So there's that on the one hand. And then on the other hand, I believe that there's power to pulling together for someone who's struggling, whether it be a mental illness, whether it be a physical ailment. When you know people are in your corner and pulling for you, there is something beneficial to that. I, I don't know that I, I personally believe in faith healing as a 
some sort of divine entity deciding, hmm, I'm going to go ahead and fix you, and I'm not going to fix this other person. I don't think that's real, but I do think people pulling for one another through prayer, through holding vigils, uh, keeping company, the whole visiting the sick thing, I think that matters. Interesting. So just sharing from my experience, um, this was part of the reason that I was taught uh, that, and again, this is going to be a little bit clash of backgrounds, but I was taught that Seventh-day Adventism was a little bit on like the the line on whether we considered it a cult or not. <laughs> oh, um, no, we were. <laughs> Uh, so I, I grew up Pentecostal, so faith healing was a central thing. Like it was, you always prayed for healing. You always prayed for healing. You had services for healing. And I remember being a little uncomfortable with that. And then I remember one time in specifically, there was someone in our church who was very sick, uh, and also relatively young, uh, to be that sick. And we prayed and then came the word. Someone spoke in tongues and another person translated it. And it was very, very clear. This person will be healed. This person will have recovery. This person, you know, all that stuff. It was, and then everyone celebrated and I celebrated. I was crying. I was like, oh, this is so wonderful. Da, da, da. By the next Sunday, she was dead. And no one said a thing. And I remember being like, upset. And I went to the associate pastor at the time, like after, and I was like, like, really, what the hell? Uh, we, how do we explain that? How do we, cause I was, you know, I was probably too zealous for my own good some days. And I was like, if we are going to say that we believe this tongues and interpretation thing, and we're going to say that this is the word of God, then when it doesn't happen, why isn't leadership saying anything about it? And, uh, I remember the answer I got. And it was an answer that I got a lot after this, but it was they're in heaven now, and that's the ultimate healing. So there is no contradiction in the word that was given. And that I, maybe I'm just that's creating, sick. I know, maybe I'm just creating that's my sick. own narrative. But for me, that was like, that started my journey away. For like it to me, in, when I think of like moments that really pushed me away, it was that. And I was like, no. This has to be looked at and reevaluated. So I will be honest. I mean, I think we have made this apparent as we've gone through the show. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a mystic. That's not to say that I'm not open to things. And I, I certainly would never dismiss someone's experience, but I certainly don't default immediately to mystery and wonder and, uh, you know, woohoo, the, the world is, you know, special. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever goes along. I mean, and, I, and I know I'm being unfair with what mysticism is, and I know that it's deeper than that. But I'm just saying that this was a, a formative experience for me. So when I think of faith healing, I, I'm i like – because I've seen what it's been used to do, and I see what an environment of faith healing priority does to people who don't get healed. Yeah. Jeff, I, I want to jump in again real quick. You talked about the community praying for this young person. You know, in the Seventh-day Adventist world, we did that, too, um, with with great fervor, hoping that something would happen. I can't remember a time where anyone was like, okay, we got the answer and it's going to be fine. It was always something like you know, medical science has done what it can do. The doctors, nurses, 
The experts have done what they can do, and now it's a matter of waiting and seeing. So let's pray in the hopes that the waiting and seeing will result favorably upon our sister or brother or whatever. But there was always this sense of like, mm, we're we're not sure. We're we're hoping, but we're not sure. Yeah, and that was not ours. Was you believe that God's going to do something, and then if God doesn't, then the insinuation was you didn't believe, or that it was God's will. So that was the cop out. But yeah, we'll get into it. I want to hear everyone else's have, experience. So that's why I have complex feelings around around this. Is that I personally have experienced things I would call miraculous and healing in my own life, and there are stories in my family that have been passed down for several generations of healings, but in my family as well, there have been moments where people that are really close to my heart have been prayed for by communities, a lot like the one you're talking about, Jeff, and have been told like they just have to have enough faith to be healed. And when they're not healed, that they didn't have enough faith. And that kind of rhetoric is so isolating. It's so damaging and hurtful. And I've seen it firsthand. And also, you know, sometimes people do have enough faith, right? <laughs> like they believe just as much as anyone else and we're asking for healing. And I've also seen uh, sometimes in communities uh, othering people who have disabilities or who have different abilities, like whose lives are, or bodies may not look like, I don't know, mine, and saying that they need healing when they may or may not even want it. So there are people out there who are probably listening to this episode and they've had experiences where – People have wanted their healing when they didn't want that kind of uh, attention or uh, or narrative to be constantly spun around them. So I just this this topic feels so complex and contextual to me that it's really tough to say something kind of universal. You know, we're all, like, to even know what is healing or quote unquote normal is so uh, just vastly different from person to person. I just know for me personally, I I had nightmares until I was. Is all psychological, but I had nightmares until I was 10 years old, like waking night terrors, you know, the kind that you can't wake up from and you see stuff everywhere. And, um, my family prayed for me and it didn't work for a long time. And <laughs> I went through uh, a kind of a supernatural calling on Jesus, this like really intense religious experience where I was healed from that. And so it's hard for me. It may be completely psychological, but it's also real, you know, for, for a young kid. And, uh, and I've also worked in hospitals, Bonnie. I know you know <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Working in a hospital as a chaplain, walking into a room and sitting with people who are going through the most horrific stuff you can possibly imagine. And uh, I don't know if if the sometimes for those those uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bonnie, but sometimes for those patients, the, the the concepts of healing and of praying for healing are actually really good for them and a source of strength and a source of goodness. And it does make a difference. And I've seen it make a difference. And sometimes it's the very opposite. So I, I don't know how to approach this. It's pretty, I have more questions and answers for this episode for dang sure. I totally agree with you, Alan. I think it's super complex. And I think it, it relates to what we define as brokenness. You know, what needs to be healed? Who gets to decide that? Is that a communal decision? Is that a personal decision? You know, all of that is enmeshed in this conversation that we're having, and it's hard to extricate threads, really. It's kind of a big pot of soup. So, Bonnie, what when you hear faith healing, what, what about you? What is your, your reaction to that? 
Um, when I hear it, because it's not part of my, I also grew up Seventh-day Adventist, so I, it's not part of my tradition. I tend to just go toward um, like things I've seen on TV <laughs> where there's a pastor praying in tongues and, you know, there's this fer- emotional fervor and then there's some sort of like energy push on the person who is afflicted or hurt in some way. And and then there's this proclamation, now you are healed. And I don't know if that's what really happens. I have only been to ma- one or two actual services and I was standing in the back kind of overwhelmed by all the intensity that I wasn't able to fully take in what was going on. But that's what comes to mind. And I don't know if that's true or not. Jeff, I guess you're the one who could say whether or not that's what happens. But I can tell you from experience, there is a force that pushes you down, but it's the arm of the pastor that's in front of you. <laughs> I only <laughs> had that just my experience. Once. That's just my experience. <laughs> I didn't grow up uh, Pentecostal. My family's kind of charismatic, but I had gone to a Calvary Chapel where someone was was praying for me, and they were pushing on my chest over and over, like, like almost giving me like a resuscitation while they're praying for me. Like this is a little different than I'm used to. That's for sure. I got a dirty look from a pastor once because the first church that I worked at as a youth pastor, he's trying to like push me over, and I. I pushed back like I was like, <laughs> and he stopped. I mean, he he gave me a solemn look and shook his head and moved on to the next person. And I was like, come on, like, really <laughs> be mad at me for <laughs> anyway. Sorry, this is a side issue. Casey, how about you? What what, what has been your experience or, or visceral reaction to the, the term faith healing? Well, I, uh, I mean, we can talk about episode 150 where we talked about praying the gay away, right? Yes. Talking about healing. What does, what does that even mean? I also have some experience in the Pentecostal church and I remember them pushing on me and thinking, I don't want to fall on the floor. So I just stood there because I wasn't trying to do that. But, um, I mean, I have lots of experiences around this because of the evangelicals that I was running with. That's all they wanted to do was lay hands on people. So some of those stories are really fun, like fun is an interesting, you know, I mean, I think I've talked to you guys about this before, but I was on a mission trip to India and our whole purpose was to pray out demons, which was awful. Um, but there was a young man and his wife who were probably 20 both 20 and they were praying because they could not conceive and after praying they like ran back to their house like literally ran uh, because they were so pumped to go try out this new prayer <laughs> if it worked if it worked so that was kind of that's funny but um there are other serious things right where we prayed for people or i've had people pray for me and those things didn't happen and it always goes back to a measurement of your faith and i think that that's the problem that i have with faith healing it somehow is connected to how good you are or how faithful you are. And so for those people who have been praying earnestly for God to to heal them, when they're not healed, it leaves them in a place of, what have I done wrong? Instead of acknowledging the fact that it just happens. There's no answers to these experiences, whether healed or unhealed. I, when I was uh, in college, there was a megachurch that bought bought our property, and they were a health and wealth sort of church. And um, their lead pastor actually got cancer and stepped down because he said that he couldn't lead them because he, there was something obviously in his life that led him to get cancer. He had preached for so long this message that when he fi- when it finally knocked at his door then he had to 
follow up with what he had been saying, right? So he had to step down. It really split the church because they wanted to know, what was that sinful thing you were doing, pastor? And he couldn't really answer. Um, instead of just saying, shit happens. So, But in, in, the, in that context, Casey, you know, that pastor, to me, that's, that's got some integrity. You know, if this pastor has been preaching that message and is expecting people to believe it and be, truly believes it himself, and then that ha- – I mean, it, it's horrible. I think it's terrible to equate getting cancer with being flawed somehow. Um, but there was integrity in his willingness to go, you know, I, I really believe this. I've taught it to all of you. And so, therefore, this is a sign that I've done something and I'm not worthy of leadership. So – I, I have a lot of respect and compassion for that, even though I think it's kind of whacked. It's unfortunate because even even the teachings of Jesus, right? People were looking for an explanation for the suffering for someone. Like, what did this person do wrong? And Jesus is like, no, you're asking the, the wrong man. question. Yeah, you're asking the wrong question completely. It's not this Who sin sinned? in this person's life. That's right. right. Or the family sin, right? Yeah. Or, or even the whole not enough faith thing. So I, I come from a biblicist background. That's why everything like triggers in my brain about, you know, reading and interpreting scriptures and where's a scripture for something. But even in the, the, the scenarios and texts where someone is not healed because of a lack of faith, it was always the lack of faith of like the followers of Jesus trying to perform a miracle. It was never the person receiving something who didn't have enough faith to have that miracle happen. And so it was like, I, I, I read those things completely differently now, but when I think about, you know, like Benny Hinn or whatever, he was a faith healer, right? So, so you think about all of these, these powerful people who are, their, their whole rhetoric is invested in their own power and their own faith. Like, you know, they have to have enough faith and power to heal other people. So there's this, you, it's, it's, it's unfortunate to me and I don't want to demonize whole groups. Maybe people ex- have experiences and they're listening and they have good experiences of Pentecostal churches and it's something that, uh, you know, feeds into their faith and, and it's a little life giving way. And I'd love to hear more about that, but you necessarily set up this dynamic where you're pressurizing sick people to pro like to be healed, to prove that a leader is connected to God somehow. And so there's this weird cycle of like, pressurizing sick people who are already vulnerable and are already looking for a community to come around them to have to prove that they've been healed or something for people to actually really be with them and celebrate them. So like you don't have a community that's like, let's just sit with this person in their sickness, you know, like really be present. You have this, uh, you're, you're commodifying sick people. And that to me is, um, kind of a, a, at least from what I've experienced, a, a toxic kind of, uh, community. Well, you have on the one's hand, you know, whether or not you have enough faith determines if you're healed or not. And then on the other hand, I know I worked with somebody in the hospital when I was a chaplain resident for a year, and I spent a lot of time in the oncology unit. And I worked with a young woman who was like 30, I think, had three kids under age five and a very aggressive cancer. She was going to die. And she believed that her cancer was given to her so that God could receive glory in her healing. So there's another side of it. You know, there's this belief that I can be a vessel for this miracle that then will give God glory, which has a really damaging effect on people who are going to die. And the people around them, right? I mean, 
those three little kids who are hearing mom say, God is going to heal me. This is for God's glory. And then when mom dies, where does that leave these young people? Like, exactly. Like the, and, and I think that that's my biggest frustration with, with this language and how we use it because it's manipulative. And it's also most of the time, let's be honest, most of the time, a real disappointment. <laughs> like for the people who, who are using these tools or this language and are saying things like, God can heal you and, and you just have to have enough faith and la di da. Well, those things happen less than, than the actual outcome, which is death or illness, right? I think it's more, I think it's damaging, quite frankly. So even if it's true, even if God does heal people, even if there is some sort of thing that happens every once in a while, the way that people go about it is damaging in and of itself. Right. So I, I think going back to, to what both you were saying and Bonnie, I'm glad you brought that up about like God's glory and everything. And Alan, what you were talking about earlier with the scriptural example of the blind man and stuff like that, that's there's no sin, but Jesus did explicitly said that he was given this sickness for this very moment. And I think that the problem in, but and that's I don't normally, he was a messiah. <laughs> that's not like, but still it doesn't change the fact that he said explicitly, this person was yeah. given a sickness so that I could have a moment right now, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think, and I don't normally say this, but I think that in this particular issue, the Bible is the problem is because we, we are using proof texts about something medical. And I'm not saying, and, and kind of going back to like, where's that line and stuff like that. I don't, I would never. Discount someone who genuinely believes there's no explanation. I have been healed. It was some sort of divine intervention. I think that that is a wonderful thing to believe. My problem is then when you take your experience and then you try to create a formula, especially if you're in a place of leadership to say, this is how it was done for me. Therefore, I'm going to build a theology and a formula and you have to follow it. And it has to be done for you because that's how God works or that's how the divine works. And I, I think that's the problem is that these theologies have – and I theologies, I'm putting that in quote uh, – have been developed – to put people in a bad place, like being in an environment where regular – where faith healing was a thing and being in an environment where seeing the frustration for people when they pray over and over again and they're not healed. It's not just like sad for that moment. It's a sad environment in general because what it does is it's created this whole false dichotomy, kind of going back well, back to a little bit what you brought up earlier, Alan, of what is healing? What is health? What is it? So it not only isn't, is it, it doesn't become then just about that person and whether their current affliction is going to be healed or whatever. It becomes about that person and that that person will never be whole. And if they're not, then there's something wrong with them already when there's something ailing them. So you're adding this, you're adding the self-imposed spiritual sickness on top of this person's affliction that may or may not be something that they're ever going to – it's never going to not be a part of their lives, but we're continuing to other them by by surrounding them and putting them in an environment of language that sets them apart in a way that is demeaning and demoralizing. I think – I really think that healing is actually about dignity. That's uh, dignity exactly and right. Wholeness. Uh, so for me, what I often tell people is like, I don't like when, when people read those texts, like the idea that they were healed wasn't the big deal. 
the uh, the thing that that was the big deal was that they were able to return to their families they were able to return to uh to the temple they were able they were they were return they were restored to community and to themselves so i so for me the idea is like when we are praying for these people really what we should be doing is surrounding them and making sure that they're not that they're not lost um that they're not um separated from community right that the the healing comes actually and them feeling more supported than they've ever felt more love than they've ever felt more connected um to their church to the people that love them like that to me is a more powerful healing than the healing itself because you guys are right some of the some of the things that people are being prayed for are things that are not actually going to ever go away and so what we're doing is, or what people are doing when they are saying, you know, you can be healed from this is inflicting, as you said, Jeff, a spiritual sickness to say, you're not good enough as you are. And I think that th- that is the message. If there is a message of the gospel, you are good as you are, um, is the one that we're robbing people of and is actually the one that we all most need. You nailed it, Casey. While I was hearing Jeff talk, I wrote down restoration to the community, literally. <laughs> And like, you're exactly right. I, uh, the ironic thing in all that is we've missed the people you, you, they, they become their illness or their, their otherness. And all we see in those communities is someone to be healed and not an actual person that is in the midst of that. I I have a friend, I have a friend who in college had something called trigeminal neuralgia. And that is, uh, there's a, a facial nerve in your, in your forehead going down into your like jaw that if it uh if you have this syndrome it basically has the most incredible pain in your face and in your head and it's completely debilitating and uh he watched it ruin his relationships with his family with his friends it it kind of it, nobody who's had chronic illness like i mean everyone who's had a chronic illness can say how much it's affected their their relationship with the community and their ability to be really connected and you're right, Casey. Healing is connecting with the people who are disconnected because of their 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 difficulties, who don't get to have that close knit, even like you know, regular life with people. Um, it becomes all about something else, and may physically take them out of community. I think you've converted me. I think Casey, I'm a I'm a faith healer in the sense that we should be we should be majoring on belonging, and that's where the healing is. Well, I think part of the problem is the way that we've structured our communities is that the only value you are to a community is how much you contribute to it. And if we continue, correct. Oh, <laughs> correct. if we continue to build Ooh. our churches and our community based off the tithers, the leaders, all the people that are just giving and, and then secretly, I, I don't, none of us would ever say this, but secretly we develop communities where people who are a drain on the community are, we let them feel that. If we're honest, we let them feel it. We don't say it, but we let them feel it in the way that we pray over them or that we continue to talk about how brave they are in the midst of their struggle instead of just letting them be and letting it – letting just letting them be in the, in the midst of that. And I think that that's another issue is that if we're going to say that a community is healing – because I think you're right on, Casey and Alan, like – it is a restoration of community. I think that that's a, a, probably the best definition of of sin scripturally is, you know, when sin is dealt with, it's always in conjunction with restoration to the community itself. And I think that if we're going to do that, then we really need to reevaluate our communities. Maybe that's another episode, but uh, I think that that's a, a key issue because 
we're only going to perpetuate the hurt if the community doesn't value someone for just being. Can we recognize so, that Jeff said scripturally just real quick before we move on? Hey, I, I'm with you, Alan. <laughs> I'm like 100%. Like most of the time, I'm, I'm, I love the Bible. I still read it and study it on a regular basis. I think it's wonderful. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bonnie, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just I was just thinking, you know, as you were talking, um, the truth is that if your faith isn't relevant and helpful when you need healing, then it's not worth anything. Yes. And so part of what we're talking about is faith healing is how is faith useful when healing is needed? And I think, you know, this dichotomy between whole and brokenness or not well and well, that's part of our problem because it's much easier to scapegoat folks among us and focus all of our our healing energy towards people that we somehow deem is in need of healing without looking at our own need for healing. You know, com- coming back to that point about um, contributing and, you know, we, we make people feel about that. You know, Jeff, your episode with Elizabeth Jeffries, there's a segment, you know, where she talks about uh, cont- contributing and participating. And, you know, we're so focused on contribution. What about just participating? And in this case, somebody who's not well, whatever the ailment is, um, can participate fully by being there. Um, they And they can contribute. Uh, their, their contribution may be different than the American definition of contribution. So I, I think being very thoughtful about those things in our in our whatever communities we're we're dealing with, whether it be family, friends, uh, church, temple, um, to to think to hold both of those with value. But I think it's really important that we don't think of those people who participate and don't contribute as not well. That that's not a helpful you know connection to make. Sometimes we just participate. Because we need to participate, not because we're not. You could well. be. You could be not well. You might be tired. You might be. You know, wiped out. I don't know. I I wonder about what it would mean for us to look at this in in just being. So for me, like, I I recognize that the biggest sin of the church is the way that capitalism has infected us. Like all of this idea of faith healing comes from the same idea um, that we use economically, which is, you know, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What you have is what you deserve. And so if you're, if you're faithful, then you have more, including health and wealth. And so I wonder about, you know, how we even come to this place of saying it's not even about when you show up what you pray for, but is it a, just a celebration of being? I was with some of the people in my congregation who no longer can attend worship because on Sunday morning because um, their health will not allow it. I was thinking, like, what do they need? You know, like, when I show up here, what are they looking for? So I always bring my Bible and my communion kit. And this last time, I just decided not to do that. And instead, I just showed up and said, what do you want to talk about today? And the, their, the, the whole mood changed in being with them because what I came assuming they wanted, which was prayer for healing, prayer for their aches and pains, turned into a conversation about family and staying connected to people 
and and the joy of having their pastor come and just ask them questions about their something like 20 great grandchildren that when i left i felt like that was more spiritual than anything i had ever provided them before because it was about connection and not about these these spiritual things that i thought they needed or i thought they wanted i mean a lot of times in scripture if we're going to go to scripture jesus will ask like what do you need as a way to give people dignity to say the things that they are looking for the things they want and there's never an assumption about well this is what you should want or this is what you should do and i think even the conversation around who is sick and who is well like you were saying bonnie begins to start with the, that be, that's the problem in the first place and another problem is thinking that somehow death is the opposite of healing right, right. it's the yeah. ultimate healing bonnie it's the ultimate oh, healing. Well, it's the ultimate. <laughs> i think that i think that, under, that understanding that death is the ultimate healing is a much gentler way to approach the conversation i mean i've used it in in the hospital many times well it's that been same true idea yeah you're right for some because, people that's i mean because i think this idea that you're not believing enough that's why you're not being healed is far more damaging and spiritually abusive i also think this idea that you have this opportunity to, to give god glory through your right. cancer or whatever it is is very damaging and spiritually abusive but to like bust up our notion that somehow death is the opposite of healing i think you know that's probably a western notion as well we want this everlasting life here on this earth and that none of us are going to have that so I think that's I think that is an important perspective. I think the work that you and Alan have done in hospitals is an important perspective for this conversation. And clearly when I say death the ultimate healing, I think that was used as a way to perpetuate the things that you just mentioned that are wrong in terms of uh healing and stuff like that. So I do I th- I think that that's I want I just want to say that out loud so that people don't think I'm an ass because I <laughs> I agree. I think that I think that's an important totally. perspective and I think that context is so important with all of this. Bonnie had like a a flyby moment that I think I want to kind of return to to me is the question in this, uh, having worked in hospitals is how is faith useful when you need healing? That is a great question. Cause that, that that's the actual crux of it. I have seen personally, and maybe this is the way it should be. I don't really know. I've seen people's faith be a healing thing for them when they're in the hospital and they're facing something awful. I've seen, the opposite where people's faith is a tormenting thing when they're in the hospital. And I I don't know if I have the right to tell them that it shouldn't be a tormenting thing. Like it is awful. It is awful to think of a creator of the universe that I have some sort of relationship with that I'm sitting here and suffering like that, that those two things are just interesting in and of themselves. And I don't know if I'm there to relieve someone of that existential angst in the midst of their suffering, but I've seen faith work those two different ways. And I'm kind of interested, like, it is fascinating to see faith really be a healing thing for someone when they're going through suffering. And it's surprising. It never kind of works the way that I think it's going to. Like all the chaplains I know who've been doing it for 30 years, and they've seen people die, they've seen people suffer. Their theology is constantly in flux because they may think that, you know, God never heals someone. That's like their solid thing. And then they have these experiences that they just can't explain. (laughs) Or on the opposite, they think that God heals everybody. And then it's like, well, spend 10 minutes, (laughs) spend 10 minutes in the hospital and you'll walk out thinking very differently. I think it would be helpful to just let miracles be miracles. Just let them be miracles. Just let them be this. 
this uh, expression of mystery that is the beyond that we'll never understand or be able to, you know, we can reach toward but never touch. What if faith enabled us to do that, to just let miracles be miracles? Right. Just to be. I mean, that's, you know, I I've, I have people in my congregation that'll say, this thing happened, I prayed for it. Was that God and Jesus? Did they do that for me? And I'll say, well, what do you think? And they'll say, well, yeah, I think that. And then I'll say, then sure. And I don't say that passively, but it's sort of like, who am I to to make that decision for you? Like, I, I'm I'm so cautious with things like that because you're right, Bonnie. Like, I don't want to to take take away anybody's experience or say that can't happen because I know better than that, right? And so just honoring people where they are. I think the only thing I would say is in moments, at least in pastoral ministry, if I have people coming into my office that are feeling tormented by their faith and and waiting for God to do this thing and it's not happening. Maybe that's the opportunity to have a conversation about, you know, things don't always work out the way that we we hope they do. And that's not God punishing us or God abandoning us. God is with us in this in this pain. Right? And, and that's the that's what faith is for, right? Is it's this accompaniment during the suffering. And I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because it feels like if God is with me, then God, why wouldn't God fix whatever it is that I'm struggling with? And of course, I'm going to, that's why I love process theology so go. much, right? I was hoping you'd just dive on in. Because I, the answer to that in a process perspective is God can't, God can only be with. To me, anyways, that, that's a great comfort and a way that I can sink into faith in times of really deep suffering and in times of grief. I find it really important to, to, to still center, not wanting beings to, to suffer. I, I'm not there to relieve all suffering or to explain all suffering. Like, you know, I think of the Buddhist practice and I'm not Buddhist. So this is just something I envy about that, that religion is like, uh, may all beings be free from suffering is kind of a central tenet, like holding on to that, not letting that go. Um, I think I, I experience God when when nurses go into someone who's having an epileptic fit or they're having something really awful happening to them and giving them that medicine. That's a divine moment, you know. Like there is, there really is something there that is, um, to me, divine. And I know that that's like a double edged sword and, and is complex. But and before we get any further, uh, uh, you know, uh, on in the conversation or away from it, or can I just say an aside that we may not have faith healing in most mainline churches. At least from my perspective, I don't see that everywhere. But there are like what, like energy healings and Reiki or Reiki is like a, a really big thing in all of these churches I've been to, and I think it's a fascinating juxtaposition. It's like, you know, all you faith healers, but we'll have our own kind of not we, but mainline churches will have their own kind of energy healing stuff. I mean, I've I've I have people that like give me energy healings like at at conferences or in my church. I feel something. I'll just say that. It was wonderful. Oh, my God. It was so great. You're wonderful. <laughs> I, I, you know, I also like this, like, um, Pastor, will you pray for, you know, I don't know, let's make up a name. Like, will you pray for Janie this week? She is feeling really alone and isolated. You know, she could really use that. And, and I'm like, 
Well, yeah, but if if you're praying for her, why don't you call her up? Why don't you go see her? You know? Will you pray for so-and-so? They really could use... Look, God has no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Like, it's the same concept with thoughts and prayers, y'all. Like, when you're, when you're sending those prayers into the universe, hoping that God will do something, it might require that you get off your ass and do it. It, it has to require that. <laughs> right. Right. Rajiv, how about you? Because I, I feel like when we started this conversation that it, it, the, the next conclusion that you might have had, the way that you expressed yourself in terms of your Seventh-day Adventist background was that they were demonized, but that there's another side of that coin where your thoughts on the possibility or um, movement forward of some sort of spiritual healing and I was just curious as to to your background, especially in connection to, and again, this is out of ignorance, but the Hinduism. And I wonder if you had any thoughts in in that direction. So one one thing that I think we're we're missing a bit in this conversation is faith healing is not some new thing. It's not some American thing. It's it's global and it's it's ancient. Uh, different different traditions have done it in different ways. So casting judgment or claiming understanding of things that aren't our own are difficult and inappropriate. So in, in, in that regard, I, I'm struggling to really have too many strong opinions uh, about the subject because I didn't grow up with it uh, other than growing up with it to, to otherize it, to vilify it. Again, coming back to this idea, you know, Casey brought up the idea of of community and restoration to community. When I, I think about the cultural context uh, and Indian communities uh, and, and others too, but uh, people gather to mourn, you know, people show up to be together when someone is sick, when there's been an accident um, and certainly, you know, it, it, towards end of life situations where you, you know, it's coming uh, people show up. And and they hold vigil, and there's there's a lot of beauty in those in those rooms, um, and then funerals too are particularly well attended because it's not it's not the end uh, in in multiple ways of of understanding whether you're a Christian and you think that there's some sort of afterlife or you're Hindu and are sure that there's some some kind of rebirth to to be had, but it is a passage. It marks it marks a passage. So I, I think in, in our, you know, the initial premise of the conversation, faith healing in America, um, in charismatic movements, laying on of hands, Benny Hinn and others, I, I feel bad for people in some cases because I think they've been used by really capable, manipulative leaders to extract money, loyalty, and devotion from them. Um, I don't vilify or don't have hard feelings for the people who are true believers in that because, you know, that's what you got. You got your your beliefs. And then I have a lot of admiration for folks who fully live into those beliefs, like the pastor that we talked about earlier, and a lot of admiration for folks who go, you know, uh, like Jeff, in your case <laughs> – you know, I can picture it. I have a little movie in my head of you standing there and the pastor trying to knock you over and you're not moving. <laughs> you're, you know, it's like what you're supposed to do. So you have inserted yourself in that scene as someone who's like, yeah, I'm not quite buying this because it, it's it's not holding true. But I would never 
claim someone wasn't healed when they believe they were healed through through faithful means. I, I think healing is something to be celebrated, however you think it got there. I just finished a book, Holy Envy by Barbara Brown Taylor, and it just recently came out. And it's her experience of interactions with other traditions that are not her own as a professor of religions, world religions at a college. And it's kind of a biographical thing, less of an information dump and more of her own experience interacting with other religions. Totally worth reading if you are going through what it's like to like critically look at your own tradition, to interact with ones that are different. Like, don't compare, like, with some of the, the stuff she talks about uh, are some of the kind of tenets of pluralistic society. Like, don't compare your best to another tradition's worst, that kind of thing. Like, leave room for holy envy where you're able to, like, see something good in another tradition. And, you know, don't just take stuff that's from someone else and then use it in a way that is culturally appropriative, all, that kind of stuff. And listening to Rajiv talk, it's just stewing in my mind. I, I'm in the same place. Like, I don't want to totally invalidate or judge another tradition's experience of this because this this subject is pretty wide outside of America. Great book for anyone looking into it. And any other final thoughts or, or feelings about uh, this particular issue? Yeah, I would say uh, get healed. <laughs> you know, be with people, be honest about your maladies. And, and in sharing community, there is healing. I second that. And, and let people be healed on their terms. Don't force them to to somehow be your normal. Actually see the person instead of just the the difference or something like that. And, ma and maybe I'd add like some of the things that you think that you are plagued with or the things that you see as illness or sickness um, maybe are not. And I think that that goes back to what Bonnie was saying earlier. Like when we talk about what it means to be whole or not whole or whatever, like even in teaching the Enneagram, I'm no longer using words like healthy and unhealthy because those come with lots of baggage. Yeah. And healthy and unhealthy depends on the context. Yeah. I would say my, my words to add um, are rooted deeply within my own tradition, the tradition of my upbringing. And that is that Jesus is very complicated on this issue. And I think it's okay to just allow Jesus and all those healing stories to be contradictory, to be difficult to try to figure out how to draw theology from, and to be as complex as this conversation has been. Hell yeah, yeah for sure. I feel like the journey, my journey with this podcast is just throwing out language that is useless. So I'm just going to oh ride that train <laughs> and, go, and and resonate with Casey and really reevaluate the words that we're using. Like why even use the word healing and, and whole and broken and at the very least really, really qualifying language like that because it is so, uh, it's so polarizing. And, and I think that, I think that our spiritual language overall needs a, 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 an overhaul. I don't know what we do axioms or some kind of qualification to make it less polarizing, you know, like heaven, hell, good, bad, divine, human. Like we have all of these juxtapositions of, of ex, you know, of two extremes in all of our language. And I really think it's, it's time to start bridging the gap for those, uh, for the sake of inclusion. For the sake of creating a community where people are going to uh, feel like they are okay. Period.
Not that they're going to be okay. Not that they're, they're going to live into their purpose. Not that they're going to have this breakthrough, but that they are, they are. And, and, and being, being good with that and having language that reflects that idea. So, yeah. And that they have community that will do all they can to ease the suffering. And recognize their suffering, not invalidate mm -hmm. it in any way. Right. Well, let us know what you think. Uh, you can add your voice to this particular conversation. You can comment at the show notes at arenacast.com slash 152. I can't believe we're in the 150s. I'm still blown away by that. Uh, also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other uh, ways to like, follow, and contact the show. That's at renacast.com slash 152. Uh, on the other side of the music, we're going to be playing a round of good news, bad news. The last time we played this segment, it was with uh, Mona. And I'll just say it got weird. It was talking about playing with Trump's hair, and it just got <laughs> weird. So I look forward to how weird it's going to get on the other side of the music. All right, so good news, bad news. So uh, I don't know how many people, uh, the last time we did this game, it was with Mona, and this is how it's going to work, is that someone's going to start with good news. Like, for instance, good news, I was invited to Alton Brown's house for dinner. That would be my good news, right? Um, and then someone would say, would follow up with, the bad news is no one knows who Alton Brown is. Oh, no. <laughs> we shouldn't be starting the segment by fighting. The good guys. news <laughs> is that you have been allowed in this podcast, regardless of the fact that wow. you know who the hell Alton Brown is. I'm stopping this right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and you make it up on the spot, right? Exactly. Man, Just the last got... time we did this, must it was a different world. It was like three or four years ago. I'm going to Google him right ago. now. Are you serious? You don't know who really? it is? Alton Brown is the patron saint of Good Eats. You never saw Good, Good Eats? Eats? Nope. Anyway. Anyway. That's I'm, okay. I hope it that this is a, a moment that you will look back on in the podcast and be like, my world has been changed because I have been exposed to one of the great culinary minds of our world who have influenced such great minds like Kenji Lopez-Alt and the bearer of one of the greatest cookbooks of all time, The Food Lab. I, I, I think I've seen him selling nonstick cookware. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Me. So anyway, the segment is uh, not sold nonstick cookware. He is, spicy he is given Jeez. information on the best oh, cookware man. to purchase. All right. Let's let's go. I've clearly been offended. I've been wronged, and we will move on. And I will expect within the next few weeks your apology after you've seen and binged from several episodes of Good Eats and have been. Uh, I don't like using the word exposed, but, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't need Alton Brown, Jeff. I have you. It's true. That's right. Aww. I will be your Alton Brown, Rajiv. <laughs> if we could hug right now, I would. But over, yeah. over, over Amen. Zoom. That's Zoom hug. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So how the game's going to work. Someone says good news. Someone says bad news. We go back and forth. Hilarity ensues, as you've seen thus far. And uh, we will we'll go. So we'll, let's go in the order of our intro, right? So I'll start. Just the, the first round, and then we'll go Alan, Bonnie, Casey, Rajiv. That look, sound like a good yes. a good way to go? Sounds good. Okay. Brown, brown people are used to being last. Whoa. Dang. <laughs> you just got, like... <laughs> got to think deeply about that one. 
You can you can cut. Can that you out. just please it just, not? It just it's the segment. It just came out. Well, it's not the segment for you. Just take a break. I just I feel like I'm in a cloud of white guilt right now. <laughs> I have I zero push, guilt. I so. push my way through it. The look that body just shot you, Rajiv, was like. <laughs> yeah, I see it all the time. Uh, see, this is the stuff that may get cut out, but you save for future release, you know, someday. <laughs> I don't uh, think this is getting cut out. This is good stuff. Probably not. <laughs> all right. So le- let's 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 go. Um, despite. <laughs> we're just going to we're just going to stick with the order. Despite um, the racial order of things. E- exactly. Exactly. And, it, you know. Despite that you volunteered yourself last in the intro, but you know we won't go back to that. We won't bring it up goes by. We'll just say it goes news. by level of immaturity and gets progressively better. Is that better? Whoa, yeah, that's what, that's <laughs> not better. I'm at the top. What the hell? <laughs> he gets upset over things like you know Alter Brown. That's okay. <sighs> I can care less about <laughs> getting upset about healing and things that matter. So what but... is the good news, Jeff? What All is right. the good news? <laughs> the good news is. Let's let's make this meta. The good news is that Irenicast has had an influx of listeners, and we are now getting two million downloads an episode. Uh, the bad news is uh, the lost city of Atlantis just got a connection to the internet, and so they're trying to learn about the surface world. <laughs> That's why we're getting all the downloads. The good news is Atlantis is no longer a lost city. It's a found city. The bad news is, the bad news is, uh, there are all these diseases that they have that we didn't, and now we have them. <laughs> Fish diseases. <laughs> We're all scaly and stuff. The good, the good news is Jesus saves, and we find an antidote for all those fish illnesses. The bad news is they refuse to believe in Jesus and are not being healed. <laughs> the good news is they have a much better savior that's half fish, half human. Aquaman? <laughs> and I just watched that movie, okay? That's why we're doing this, probably. The good news is their savior's a woman. She's a mermaid. The bad news is she's not as cool as Bonnie. The good news is we're drawing to a close. <laughs> Yay! We did our first shot. That's not so good. not to not to pun this, but we certainly jumped the shark on that one. <laughs> uh, <ba-dum-bum. laughs> <Whoa. laughs> That's so good. Great. You have to put that in there. Oh my gosh! Okay, That's so that was that was not bad for a first round, regardless <laughs> of how we went from uh, the show and wonderful listeners to to Atlantis to Atlantis and and Aquaman and. Of course, I'm, I'm not mad at the, the comic book implications of that. So, uh, Alan, do you want to start sure. us off this time? Okay, this one's going to get, you know, deeply personal. So, it are always you guys does. ready? <laughs> Rajiv was asking for accountability, so here we go. <laughs> uh, the good news is Rajiv wrote a book. <laughs> the bad news is it's about all of us. <laughs> the good news is it's a top seller. The bad news is I'm on a hit list. (laughs) (laughs) 
the good news is, is that I'm reflected glowingly in the words of Rajiv in his book, <laughs> and I have become a wonderful celebrity and have done wonderful things <laughs> to help the masses. The bad news is uh, people have started showing up at your house and camping on your front lawn. That is bad news. I don't like that. Even just the hypothetical gives me a, a visceral reaction. The good reaction. news is we have a BB gun. <laughs> it was my turn. <laughs> it was. You skipped. Sorry, turns. go ahead. I, I know it was. I just. What's the good I, news? You know, it's, it's my freaking book. <laughs> this is not all good news, Rajiv. The good news is you're still going to be alive at the end of the day. After all of this, <laughs> the bad news is out, you might be out. single. <laughs> Are we talking about Rajiv or Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Rajiv. Oh, good news is so hard to find sometimes. <laughs> oh. I think we've lost the logic thread on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gone. It's gone. That was a good shot. All right, Bonnie, we're counting on you. Start, start us off. Let's. Let's uh, let's get out of Atlantis and publishings and audience and, <laughs> yeah, and let's get into totally. something real, something substantial. Okay. Are you ready? It's 2020. And the good news is a woman has been elected president. Oh. Oh. Yes. What's, yes. What's, the news, right what's the bad news, Casey? What's <laughs> the bad news? The bad news is it's Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> Way to See? bolster any white supremacists we may have in the audience. Yeah, the bad news is that that's helpful, Rajiv. The bad news is it's Sarah Palin. Oh, there you go. So give us the good news, Rajiv. The good news is uh, the vice president is Michelle Obama. The bad news is that reality has exploded everyone's mind <laughs> and no one understands the world anymore. <laughs> Um, okay, the good news is they plan to give something free to everyone. The bad news is it's going to be free coal. <laughs> the good news is is that California could not stand for that and has succeeded from the union. <laughs> the The bad news is Joe Rogan is California's president. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's complex news. It's not just bad. It's complex news. Okay. <laughs> The good news is that since Joe Rogan has the most popular podcast in the United States, the medium of podcast is more celebrated than ever, and Irenacast is finding more listeners all the time. So <laughs> we're getting away bring from it, that. bringing it back. No, we're bringing it back to. <laughs> Why does it have to be so self-serving? <laughs> Self-serving's fine. I can't. I can't. All right. The bad news is that Sarah Palin's our biggest fan. <laughs> The good news is she can see us from Alaska. <laughs> Yay! That's the one to end on. Right I can there. see I rent a cast from my house. <laughs> All right. Are, I think, we, are we going on to the next one? Let's yeah, let's let's do one more. Casey, let's 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 The uh, good let's news end is we're yours. going to a drag show. The bad news is Mike Pence is a special guest. <laughs> The good news is that I discovered I look fabulous in eye makeup. The bad news is, so did Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> he discovered that you look good in it. Hey, if I can help in any way. 
<laughs> the good news is we discover that um, Mike Pence has a whole different side to him. The bad news is we can't leave until Mike Pence performs. You make me feel like a natural woman. <laughs> Oh my god. That was bad news, right? That was bad news. <laughs> the, the the good news is the, the, the ghost of Aretha Franklin reappears and and disappears Mike Pence. The <laughs> The bad news is that Death has done a number on her vocal cords, and we don't get to hear a live rendition. The good news is she decides to lip sync while Casey sings. (laughs) (laughs) Can we call it? Can we call it? Yeah, can we call it? Because I can't think of bad news. so bad. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, the bad news is that... There's four people listening still. <laughs> but the and good the, news is that those four people really love us. Does that include or exclude the Atlantis listeners? That's right. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, my goodness. That's when they dropped off. Yeah. <laughs> they, they decided to be lost again. We, we don't sound After good this underwater. Episode. <laughs> the surface can have its problems, you know. Oh my them. goodness. All right. Well, if <laughs> if for some reason you have found value in the show and would like to support us, I have. <laughs> go to iredicast.com slash support. There you'll find new ways to support the show, including a PayPal link to donate, uh, Amazon, and of course, our new merch uh, at iredicast.com slash support. You'll find links for all of that stuff. And um, don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Pandora, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. Uh, We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. 